Blog Talk Radio. It's Sunday evening, and welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brining and Jeremy Dunn. They'll be taking your calls and speaking on the topic of the week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences with us. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That number again, 347-215-9442. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. I'm your host, Robert Bryan, and my co-host, Jeremy Dunn. Jeremy, howdy. Howdy. How you doing? I'm doing How you doing? (laughs) How you doing? How you doing? Man, I got to tell you, it was a beautiful day today. It was absolutely gorgeous. Um, We went to a wonderful barbecue, and um, we... uh, we had fun with friends. We just hung out. It was gorgeous. I think it was. I think it topped out about eighty-one, eighty-two. Beautiful time. The, the sun was out. It was just a pleasant Sunday, and I just wish all Sundays were like this. I mean, it was just wonderful. I really had a great, great day. And and so, but enough about me. How are you? How how are you? How, how I'm are well with you. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah? Joe Joe had an event today, so you know we uh he went and did all that and I kind of helped him out with that for a little bit in between um ran into an old friend who showed up from high school so that was kind of nice to see her nice. um you know and kind of just been playing you know still playing catch up trying to get everything done excellent uh, you know it, it, i love this time of year it's um the, the 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 baby ducks out the baby turtles are out I mean, it's it's. I, I really, really enjoy it, and I, I just I love this time of year. It just gives me so much hope. It makes me feel good. Who are listening? Who don't know where we're at? Um, you know, I'm in Pennsylvania, and, and Jeremy's in uh, North Carolina. Yeah, where, um, where, where, I, I, <laughs> where are you? I had to think for a minute because I'm like, I'm know, North, Charlotte. He's in Charlotte. <laughs> Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm in Charlotte. Um, you know, so it was, it was beautiful here, considering they were calling for a lot of rain. So, oh, really? So it was nice uh, yeah. to um, actually get out and enjoy the sun today. So, yeah, um, I just really enjoyed, just enjoyed the day today. It was just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. But uh, so, what, what else was you? So, what was your week so, like? So, so first, I want to say congrats because you got the job. I heard. Yes, yes. So, I, I hopefully we'll get an official offer this this coming up week. So, um, so keep your fingers crossed. You know, I mean, who knows? Yeah. They could say, you know, we don't have the budget and they you know, right. have the job. So, so who knows? But, uh, but yeah, but it all looks good. So I'm excited about that. And I'd be working from home. Matter of fact, I'm sitting at my new desk right now. And I've uh, got my printer over here and I've got my laptop up and I, I can overlook the lake. And it's just, it's just very nice. I, I have a great office. And uh, so this is where I, I'm doing, I'm using the, uh, printer, or the printer, the desk for the inaugural um, uh, use. First time, I'm Ooh. popping the desk cherry. You're breaking it in. You're breaking the it in. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so we're all here together to um, break in the new desk. Uh, all of us here at Pop AM, and it's actually kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> so for. Um, for all of you tuning in, we want to thank you all for uh, hanging out with us tonight. We have a, a great guest coming on with us in a little bit. Um, but I do want to remind you, if you missed last week's show, we had an amazing guy on, Jay Campbell from Jersey, and he talked about his uh, project, LOL, which is Living Out Loud. Um, so you might want to check that in the archives. Again, all our archives can be found on iTunes or on Blog Talk Radio for free, so check them out. We have some great uh, past guests. And coming up, um, next Sunday we will be speaking with um, Robert Suttle, who is going to come on and talk about HIV criminalization, and he is also featured in the documentary HIV is Not a Crime. So that is definitely um, one that you're going to want to check out. Um, he's definitely very active in the community, and um, you, you, you don't want to miss that, that one. So, um, you know, we have some great people coming up, which, you know, we can talk about later, but we've had some great past guests as well, so you definitely want to check out the archives. Absolutely. For I mean, sure. You know, we have had... We're going on four years. How many episodes have we done? I think we're at, this is 220, I think. 220 episodes. And 
granted, we haven't had 220 guests on, but uh, we've had close to 200 guests on, and they've all been terrific. And and I'm thrilled. And, And as of this show, tonight's show, we have an amazing an amazing man coming on in just a few minutes. And um, he wrote this book called Delicate Courage. And, you know, I've read most of it and, and a lot of it. And it's, I, I will tell you, it, it's, it's not an easy read. And what I mean by that, it's, it really takes you through a lot of emotions. And I am really excited to have Jim come on and talk about his book and uh, and really talk about the delicate courage, and, and I'll, I'll leave him to talk about it. But I, I have to tell you, my my, you know, before we get into all of this, I, I I was really honored to meet him at uh, PL15, and it, it was just, and and I, it was just amazing. His his book is an amazing journey, and I just I I, I want everybody to go out and pick it up because it really is so good and and so moving and touching and it just I, I just everybody has to get out there and do that. So so that's it. So yeah, when is he coming out? I'll be on calling in shortly. Uh delicatecourage.com is the website where you can find all the information and actually purchase the book. Um he is an amazing man and I'll get into more uh, about him when he comes on. But one of the things I did want to talk about is my new my new addiction, okay? My new addiction Uh-oh. is Instagram. Okay, and it's the app on the iPhone that you take photos. I was like just recently bought, you know, by Facebook for like millions of dollars, and it's like 15 people, and they don't make any money, and yet Facebook bought it for so much money because it's just it's just sharing photos, but it basically has the concept of Twitter where you have followers and you follow people, but you just share photos, and you can either like the photo or leave a comment on the photo. So it's just just a way to share it, and you can share it, you know, on your it's on the iPhone app and only there, I believe, and you can share it, you know, on Twitter and Facebook at the same time. And it's, for me, I'm just totally addicted because you know me, I like to take a lot of photos. So doing it and then being able to add these special effects to the photos, you know what I mean, which makes them look really cool and artistic and, and it's just a really cool. So if you have Instagram, look me up, Positive Pitch on there, or find me on you know, Facebook, you can find me by my name. But it's a really cool app and you should check it out. It's great for like traveling with Dad the AIDS Fair to take cool photos and make them look kind of unique. Nice. You need to get on there. I- <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to take a look at it. I'm totally addicted. That's all I need is another another stupid addiction to to technology. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm already overly addicted. Well, you know me. I just love all the like different social networking things. So it's kind of cool to so just a different way to connect with people and just with photos. You know? So exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. That's funny. And you and you are a. Um, you are definitely a, a photo queen. <laughs> you, you take pictures of everything. I, do. I mean, everything. You you really do, but, and it's very funny. But on Instagram, I try to make it, like, just different kinds of photos. Not, on Instagram, you're not going to find, like, my food, okay? <laughs> you're going to find, like, cool photos of, like, my dogs or, like, flowers that we have or the garden when it gets better. So it'll be just, like, this interesting, cool stuff, and there's already some on there, so check it out. I actually think we have our guest on the line, so I'm going to go ahead and okay. bring him on. Jim, is that you? Hey, Jeremy and Robert. Great to be here tonight. Hey, Jim. How are you? I'm doing good. Congratulations on four years and your 220th episode. That's just amazing what you guys have been doing for the community. Thank you so much. Oh, we're happy to do it. We're glad, you know, and I'm just thrilled to have you on. Oh, thank you. I am. So before we get into all of this, Jim, I have a question for you. I recently viewed a documentary called We Were Here. Right. Uh-huh. And 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 I, I'm sitting there in the audience because I had to talk to the to the to the to this group of people who are watching this. And in in the very first like five minutes of the of the of the of the, of the documentary, there's this black and white picture that comes up from the late seventies, early eighties. And I and I see somebody that looks really familiar. And then it dawns on me, is that Jim Geary sitting down there in the le- lower left or right-hand corner of this picture? So, right. 
I think it's you. It is me, yeah. And that's See? Uh, and that's Jess uh, Randall. That was my lover. I think he's centered in that in that frame of the movie. And yes, uh, yes, uh huh. Okay, yeah. I, I'm like I know that guy. I know that <laughs> handsome guy up there. And one of our volunteers, Ed Wolf uh, from Shanti Project, he was one of the four uh, narrators for the film. He plays yeah. a, a big part of the film, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's the tall guy, right? Yes, uh-huh. The real tall guy, yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. He joined our he joined Shanti, I guess, back in nineteen eighty three or whatever and as a lot of a lot of uh gay men did at the time. Um and I always remember Ed saying that the training we put our volunteers through like a two weekend, forty four hour training at that time and had always said that it just melted his heart. It just got him to feel again and to open up to to his own feelings, which was so essential, of course, in working with people, you know, in those early days, because um, there was so much fear, and uh, it was so important for volunteers to be able to acknowledge their own fear, but also to move past it in order to help other people. So. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay, good. I, I, I had to ask the question because I'm, I'm looking at them like, it couldn't be a coincidence. It's not Jim. I, I, I know Jim well, I was, was a there. bit younger back then. <laughs> Look, you haven't changed a bit, Jim. Oh. Not a bit. I mean, so, I mean, and, and my, my, my partner, Mark, who was watching the film with me, um, he had bruises in his rib cage, but I'm like, that's Jim, that's Jim. <laughs> and he's looking at me going, who the hell is Jim? <laughs> All right, so enough of that nonsense. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But, that's but funny. So, so, Jim, take us, um, I mean, your story has so much history of, you know, of, of about HIV and AIDS, and then, you know, the personal touch of, of you know, you and, and, and your partner in the book and things like that. Take me back to the beginning in, in 1974. What led you to go to San Francisco? Well, 1974, I was with my, my first lover, who I, Matt, who I also talk about in the book. We were together for mm-hmm. seven years. And um, I had gone out to San Francisco in 1970 to uh, attend the Institute for the Study of Nonviolence that Joan Baez and, and David Harris had started out there in Palo Alto. And I just sort of fell in love with California at that time, and I had thought that, you know, uh, after finishing school and whatnot, that I would like to move out there. So in 1974, uh, well, I did political work there in Washington between 1970 and 1974, but in 1974, Matt and I moved uh, to San Francisco. He had finished his degree at the University of uh, Maryland in theater, and uh, I moved out there and got a job on an oncology floor uh, in San Francisco and worked with terminally ill patients and their families for three years. I had been doing that a little, I mean, I had been doing that in Washington, D.C. I had worked with terminally ill children as a recreational, occupational type therapy worker uh, at hospital for sick children in in Washington. So working with the terminally ill wasn't new for me, but I found it to be, uh, and this, of course, was prior to AIDS. This was like 1977 through uh, well, 1974 through 1977, I, I found the work to be uh, rewarding in the sense that the connections that you had with people were very authentic, and that appealed to me. I mean, it wasn't when somebody's facing, you know, the last uh, six months or or whatnot of their life. It's you know not a lot of room for bullshit it's authentic communication and and very real communication and i was able to bring a degree of uh, intimacy uh to to the people that i worked with and to their families and uh i heard about shanti project at that time shanti was founded in 1974 it was located in berkeley uh but i was already do you know working with the terminally ill at the hospital so I just sort of noted it, and and then after I left the hospital, I did massage for several years uh, as a professional uh, masseur, and that's when I actually 
1978, uh, did some political work for the uh, Bay Area Citizens Against the Briggs Initiative, uh, and that's where I met Harvey Milk. Um, of course, the Briggs Initiative in California at that time was uh, – they were trying to pass a statewide initiative that would fire all gay and lesbian school teachers and any non-gay and lesbian school teacher that uh, associated with an openly gay and lesbian person. So it was a horrendous initiative, and when it was first introduced to the people of California, uh, it was uh, the majority of people favored it. So I worked on that uh, mostly in the San Francisco area for about six months, and and uh of course that initiative fortunately was defeated but it was like just 2 weeks after that that uh, mayor george Moscone and supervisor milk were assassinated uh in you know of course in san francisco and after their assassination i decided that um shortly after there i i decided that i would check out shanti project as a volunteer I was at that time breaking up with my first lover, Matt, who I'm still friends with, but it was time for our relationship to part. And uh, so when I left him, I, I moved to Berkeley and joined Shanti Project in 1978. And uh, what made you want to go there and volunteer? Well, again, uh, I think that was Robert. Again, it was... Uh, yeah. Was working with people with life-threatening illness. They were they were a peer counseling group. They had uh, been founded in 1974, and there was about 70 volunteers at that time. All all I think all of which were heterosexual that were working with you know terminally ill cancer patients primarily, and 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 family members that were were grieving. And uh, so I joined that organization and, and quickly went on staff and became uh, the director of client services. And then in 1982, I, I actually became executive director. Uh, we had our first um, HIV client. Of course, at that time it was it wasn't labeled. Uh, in 1981, we had a, uh, a gay man uh, call the project in September of 81, and he had been diagnosed with this mysterious illness, and he was wondering if we could start a support group for other gay men with, uh, at, you know, terminal illness, because of course at that time uh, this disease was primarily terminal. So we wrote a letter to. Uh, the Bay Area uh, oncologist and found out that this Paul Daig, a clinical psychologist at the University of, of San Francisco, was seeing a number of men with purplish spots, and uh, he would he wanted to meet with me and, and learn more about the support group and whatnot. So I met with him. And and he ended up referring many of our first clients to us, among which were uh, Bobby uh, Campbell, who was actually the poster boy in San Francisco at that time. It was they had taken pictures of his. Are you there? Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm getting some static. I'm getting on the phone. They had taken pictures of the KS lesions on his feet and and had put them up on on 18th and Castro in the Walgreens um, uh, plate glass windows as a way of informing the community uh, what the lesions looked like. And he was one of the first members of our support group, along with Bobby Reynolds, who was a wonderful man that worked for a flowered. Um, Pacific Gas and Electric in in uh, California, and he actually became a leading spokesperson for people with AIDS in California, and and also traveled around the country and um, spoke in Washington D.C. at one of the first uh, major uh, AIDS um, marches. I guess that would have been like in 1985 and led a visualization um, before like uh, 100,000 people or whatnot. So we had remarkable individuals, you know, the early the early men, pre predominantly gay men, that um, were willing to come out and educate the community about who they were. There was such hysteria and such uh, misconceptions about, even in the gay community, there was, you know, a lot of people were trying to portray People with AIDS as uh, 
piranhas and and sexual deviance and they used poppers they had a, they had lots of fisting i mean there were just all these ways that gay people Off were trying wall. to distance yeah they were trying to distance themselves from what they saw as a person with aids because they were so terrified but what we quickly realized in the support group was that you know these were people like uh just like anyone like the like the like uh you know, your next door neighbor, and we had people in our support group that had maybe only two or three sexual partners in their whole lives. So we were, I think, one of the first people to realize that this disease was happening to anybody. Wow. So I'm assuming you got the okay for the support group to start. That's right. We got the the okay for the support group to start, and... um, uh, we then sought uh, – the project went bankrupt, I think, uh, in uh, January of 1982, and the executive director at that time um, made plans to liquidate everything in the project. Uh, and I had – so anyway, I offered to stay on um, as an unpaid staff person because I realized that, you know, we were we – were, I just had a feeling that this uh, disease was going to mushroom and that these services were going to be needed more than ever. So um, I s- applied for unemployment for the state of um, California and was on unemployment for six months and worked full-time. I actually moved into the office, gave up my apartment, and um, uh, slept on the floor of the office for six months as I sought funding for uh, Shanti Project services. And at that time, I had met Pat Norman, who was uh, gay and lesbian uh, coordinator for the Department of Public Health in San Francisco. And she invited me out to lunch, had me present at the Department of Health a couple of times, and was very impressed with Shanti and what we were doing, and one day at lunch she said, so how much do you need? And I said, what? She said, well, how much do you need to pay yourself a salary and hire an office manager and to set up an organization and and, uh, provide these services? And so off the top of my head I said 55,000, and um, what I didn't know was that Supervisor Britt, who was another gay supervisor at the time in San Francisco, had uh, sought her out to seek community organizations that could respond to this uh, epidemic in San Francisco. So Mayor Feinstein approved uh, that amount of money, and within a year our budget went to over 300000 We started the first residence program for people with HIV in the country. We had 12 houses, flats around the uh, city of San Francisco that had like four to six bedroom uh, where people with AIDS could um, live in safety and, and, uh, and die in dignity. And uh, when I left Shanti Project in 1988, our budget was over $3 million and uh, we had over... Um, 600 volunteers providing practical support and emotional support services to to people with AIDS. Wow, wow! I mean, that's that's just uh, this is Jeremy, and that is mm-hmm. a that's a lot going on. I it wanna, was a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I want to ask you a little bit about Jeff, about your correspondence with him, and how you met him. Mm-hmm. During all of this comment, I mean, you were a busy guy. How did you find time? Well, you know, Jeremy, I actually <laughs> met him in nineteen. Um, I get we started to correspond in nineteen seventy-eight, right around the time that I was working against the Briggs Initiative, and uh, as I had said, my lover Matt and I were. Um, you know, deciding at that time that we were going to be separating. And the Loving Brotherhood was kind of an interesting group. It, I think it originated out of New Jersey, and it was uh, it had not a lot of members, maybe about 400 members. But they, you wrote a listing, you know, and a lot of the listings weren't about the size of whatever. It was more about whether you were vegetarian or what type of spiritual practice you were into or uh, that type of... <laughs> 
Tommy <laughs> Ania. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The hippie left over. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they had one motto, which was be slow to say no. So, you know, you're really encouraged when people contacted you to try to, you know, at least extend friendship, even if it wasn't going to go anywhere. So Jess uh, Randall wrote me in 19, in I guess, let's say May of uh, 1978, wrote me a beautiful letter and said that he was living in Idaho working for the forest fighters putting out uh, fighters putting out fires up there and feeding the the um uh, men up there that were doing that work, men and women that were doing that work, and he was thinking of moving to San Francisco. So anyway, we started to correspond, and um, of course, in that like in 1978, I would have been 26, and he would have been 24. So we were both young, but he had done. He was a TM teacher, a transcendental meditation teacher, and very sweet, sweet man, very loving man, uh, open-hearted man, and um, so he eventually came to San Francisco, and he actually worked uh, with me uh, against the Briggs Initiative, and um, was there, of course, for the the assassination of Harvey Milken and. Uh, and we had a we had a connection we had a sexual connection but he was like in a candy store i had moved to san francisco in 74 and <laughs> and he was just sort of coming out and uh he was very cute he, he took me out to dinner one night and he said what i really want is i want a man with muscles cowboy boots and a mustache well i didn't have any of those <laughs> So I said, well, honey, you go find it. You go find it and tell me about it. So. <laughs> Wasn't that the midnight, uh, midnight Cowboy or something like that? Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, he went on his way. We, of course, remained very good friends. And then actually in 1981, we became roommates. And um, we lived together for, oh, my Lord, I guess about a year and a half. And then in 1983, I think, or 82, he took the Shanti training program. And it was during that training that he felt that or that he realized that he was in love with me. And, of course, I was skeptical because, you know, I had a certain persona in the training that a lot of people were were attracted to, kind of a charismatic persona. And I was thinking that he was, you know, just being attracted to that. But... Anyway, he assured me that it was more than that, so we actually then moved in together in uh, probably late 1982, and uh, we were together for 20 years until he passed of AIDS in uh, 1998. Wow. So, and, and I just want to remind our listeners, it is uh, we're actually at the bottom of the hour. I can't believe how 30 minutes just blew by. Um, so uh, we'll be opening up our phone lines in just a little bit. But, but Jim, I wanted to um, focus on, on this incredible book that you've written, uh, Delicate Courage. And I have to tell you, I don't know if you heard the first few minutes of the, of, of, of the show or not, but I have to tell you, it, it was not an easy read for me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and I, I got your book, I think, what was it, in March? Right. When was yeah, positive living. So positive living, right. Yeah, so I had to put it down. Right. Because mm-hmm. it, it it's tore raw. me up. Yes. It is. It, it, yeah, it it's really raw. Uh-huh. tore me up. Right. And um and there's some photos in here. It, it, because you don't only just talk about um your life with Jess, but you also talk about the afterlife with Jess. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So can you tell me, tell us, in, why did you decide to write the book? And um, and we'll go from there. Well, there, thank you, Jeremy. The, the reason I wrote the book, I actually started writing the book early, back in, you know, in the early 80s, because I realized that I was had been in a remarkable place at a remarkable time. I mean, to be on the 
so-called front lines of the AIDS epidemic in San Francisco to, to actually form the first support group in, in the world for people with AIDS and, and to have an existing organization that provided services first in the country uh, to people with AIDS was, was just an extraordinary place to be. Plus the individuals that I met, you know, that I worked with, people with AIDS, uh, had such extraordinary stories to tell that I wanted to share um, those stories uh, in writing the book. I wanted to continue to uh, debunk a lot of the stereotypes of, of uh, what people thought of people with AIDS. So that was my initial motivation. Uh, then, of course, um, I put the book down. I got, you know, busy with my work and whatnot and and then when i left shanti in 88 um we jesse and i moved here to the daytona beach area in florida and uh, we had made the decision not to get tested um i think because we both felt that we were positive and you know in the early days robert and jeremy of course the medication was i think killing people more quickly than the disease so jesse and i made the decision that we would not get tested until one of us manifested symptoms so you know i think we probably were exposed in the late 80s that was my very sexually active period 1978 through 1981 i was a bathhouse queen and um, <laughs> did that whole did that whole story for 3 years and of course we weren't using condoms during that period um but in 1988 i got tested when i moved to florida anonymously because i was trying to get insurance after after leaving shanti project and the test came back as as positive and uh and then jesse got um very bad um, esophageal uh, yeast in 1982 and uh, and then got the uh, 1992 and then got the lesions in the mouth, the KS lesions and whatnot. So, um, so then I decided, you know, then, well, then, of course, it was, you know, well, what do we do? He was given a prognosis at that time of five years by the doctor. I sort of pushed her to give us a diagnosis a prognosis and she did so we traveled a lot we traveled extensively we bought a little um uh, trailer and we took uh 3 month 3 for 3 years we took uh uh 3 3 month trips across the United States and Canada and my parents uh, accompanied us on each of those journeys and we just had some remarkable times visiting the national parks and meeting people and and just enjoying life and focusing on you know getting the most out of living well then in 1995 1996 you know his illness you know started to really play havoc on him he had a uh, poured and he needed to be fed um, uh, like a tube feeding type thing for the for a year of his life and you know he had a lot of the awful diseases that you know were affecting eyesight and 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 whatnot that people with HIV uh, at that time were prone to or people even now I guess that are you know are failing are prone to so my life became you know, taking care of him, certainly the last couple of years. So after he passed, um, I decided to get back into the book and include a lot of those, um, uh, well, that journey, that amazing journey that started with him prior to AIDS. And then, of course, Jess worked with me at Shanti Project. He was finance uh, director of Shanti Project. So we worked closely together you know, during the epidemic in San Francisco, and then we had this marvelous ten years together after we left, uh, after we left San Francisco. So, I wanted to include that in the book. I actually include a lot of the love letters that we wrote, you know, prior to HIV, which you know I think are quite beautiful. I know a lot of people that have read the book, particularly heterosexual people that have read the book, have told me that they're just so impressed with the depth of love that comes across in the book and that they wish that they had experienced a, you know a, a love that deep in in their own lives. I, and I, know, all, I totally 
I totally agree with that, Jim. And um, that that loving feeling, it's not just in the book, it's it's you. Because when I met you two years ago at Positive Living, I had that loving feeling. I felt like that instant connection, like I knew you. You know what I mean? Like like I was supposed to meet you. And, like, I just went up and I bought your book. I, I was new to, you know, to the field of, of going to these conferences. I didn't know anybody. So right. I just, like, felt I needed to get your book. And then seeing you again and reconnecting with you and, and your partner, Jeff, this year, you right. know, that, it was just amazing. It just, you know, I kind of validated that, like, you know what I mean? I just felt, like, connected to you, and, and it's you that has that loving energy. Oh, well, thank you, Robert. And it was so fun to be part of your your connection, you and Jeremy's connection. You hadn't yeah. met in, what, four years? <laughs> yeah. It was like the two <laughs> lovers coming together. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great, it was a great time. That's true. Um, and and so, I have to echo, I yes. have to echo what Robert said is, mm-hmm. um, I met you for the first time, and uh, you, you do have this overwhelming calmness about you and it it soothes me because I'm I'm one of those type A personalities, go figure. I'm right. I'm off my lots of energy. And but just being in your presence was very calming and soothing and it, you just feel good around you. So so I have to act that. So Oh, thank you guys. That's very sweet. That's very sweet. We're gonna come move in with you later. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> I got a big okay. house. We got two two guest rooms here, so that's perfect. There you go. <laughs> All right. Um, we'll be permanent residents. But the after <laughs> that's perfect. The after death stuff, you know, I had worked with a lot of clients that I was that I was very intimate with. I mean I mean I call we called them clients, but they were really friends, um that that, you know, just touched my heart and opened my heart in in, in very significant and tender ways. And uh, but what happened, Jeremy and Robert, I think, um, was that people were passing so quickly. I didn't really even have time to think of connecting with them in the afterlife or after death communication because as soon as they passed, you know, I had another friend that was was getting ready to pass or another friend right. that was was very sick. You know, I had heard Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, she um, worked a lot with, with people with dying and came up with the five stages of dying and whatnot. And she had spirit guides and all of this stuff, you know, that she would talk about in, in, in after-death communication. But um, I was not privy to that. That was something that was, you know, I, I wasn't disbelieving of it, but it was something that um, that I had never had any experience with. And in, and in fact, in Shanti, even though Shanti means inner peace, it's a Sanskrit word that, that means inner peace, I had, as the executive director, I had intentionally not, wanted it to become a, a spiritual so-called spiritual organization i wanted our volunteers to be not to bring any type of spiritual agenda to working with their clients that they were there to meet their clients where they were at and if they were agnostic or atheist that was fine that's where you meet them and and you you're there to support them and to help them discover their own answers so um after Jesse passed, I mean, we had talked, I guess, a little bit, you know, that we would try to communicate, you know, together after one of us passed. And um, so uh, I went through, I guess, an extraordinary two years of communication, uh, different communications with him uh, after he passed. I mean, uh some of them were an actual appearance, you know, where he where he actually uh, physically uh, manifested in form, not complete form, you know, but more just like kind of an energy form. Uh, right. One night, a uh, lot of electrical uh, phenomenon that was happening around the house with. Um, uh, you know, suddenly the, all the lights in the house would dim like to 50%, and I would say, what the hell's going on here? I said, and then as soon as I would say, oh, it must be Jess, they would be restored to full power. Um, one of the funny ones that happened uh, that I talk about in the book was this um, little fart machine that uh, one of our <laughs> friends... <laughs> 
<laughs> one of our friends, Christine, oh, who no. worked for hospice uh, out in uh, California, she had brought, when Jesse was in ICU here in Florida, she had brought this little electronic fart machine that had like five distinct fart sounds. And, uh, well, he had so much fun with that. He would stick that under his, his sheet, and then when the physical therapist or the dietitian or whoever would come into the, <laughs> into the room, there would be this obscene, you know, type sound coming out from under the sheet. And, of course, everybody was too polite to say anything. And, uh, and, and oh, it was just, it was, it was a remote control device, so it was quite funny. So, anyway, we got a lot of laughs over that. So, after he passed, I kept that machine uh, next to where I sit in the living room with a picture of him. And um, I had not operated that machine, uh, Jeremy and Robert, in, in a year. It just sat there. And uh, I was watching Jeopardy one night, and there was a champion on Jeopardy that I was rooting for. And it was her second night, and I and uh, she did the final Jeopardy and won a lot, lot of money. And so I jumped up and I said, big money, big money. And then I looked down at his picture and I said, oh, Jess, I said, I'm, such a, I'm still such a crazy ass. And with that, the damn fart machine went off twice. So, I mean, and it had not made any sound in a year. So I mean, some of the some of the connections have been, you know, quite uh, quite humorous. But um, yeah, yeah. Do, do you so, remember having growing up making connections like this, or is it something that just kind of happened after he passed away? It's something, Robert, that happened after he passed away. You know, I think I was not meant to sort of open up to that dimension until until he passed, because I think my work, I needed to stay focus on my work and, and not to bring a particular spiritual agenda to my work. I think that was really uh, an important thing in, in, you know, trying to reach the most number of people that were affected with HIV. So I was always spiritual. I, I mean, I always had a spiritual connection, but it was not something that I um, had experience with in terms of the after-death communication. Uh, a little you bit like... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, no. Finish, please. Well, just a little bit of psychic stuff, I mean, that I had experienced, you know, younger and whatnot. But no no communication with, with what I would say that would, would be people in the disembodied state or anything. So uh, there's actually one communication that I, I read about in your book. Mm -hmm. It was... Um, it was a Christmas, and this gets and this makes me tear up every time I read it. But um, it, it was the card that you took, and you you asked him to give you a message, and uh, and I'm actually flipping through the, the back of the book. Right, it, that it, was it, an incredible thing. That um, that I you know I was questioning because a friend of mine, Jeremy, after he passed, they said, um, well, you know, maybe you shouldn't be trying to contact him because you're you know you're bringing he's he's got to go on with his life and you got to go on with your life and maybe you're dragging him you know into this dimension or what you know whatnot. And so I was a little plagued by that thought, you know, even though I didn't feel right, you know, I that I was thinking, well, maybe you know maybe there's some truth in that. So anyway, I think it was the first Christmas, as you say. He passed in October, so it was December. I remember going down to um, uh, South Beach with my folks for Christmas, and of course that was a difficult Christmas because it was a, our first, I mean, the first Christmas without him. And right. uh, Neil Donald Walsh, who's written a lot of books on spirituality, conversations with God and whatnot, had just come out with his third uh, Conversations with God book. And along with it was this stack of like, uh, oh, I don't know, let's say 75 little cards, which were quotes of, you know, from the book. And um, so I, when I got to South Beach, you know, I, I said, well, Jess, I said, I'm going to, I was talking to him in, in my mind and heart, and I said, you know, I'm going to take one card, and this is going to be, I want it to be a message from you about this dilemma that I'm feeling, which is whether it's okay to make contact with you, because I don't want to do anything that's not in your highest good. And the card that I drew said, uh, call on me uh, whenever and wherever you are, separate separate from the peace that I am. 
So it was like just giving me total permission to call on him whenever and wherever I was in life that I felt separate from the peace that that he was. And uh so yeah, it was a it was another, you know, synchronistic you may say, but just a, a beautifully poignant um moment where I felt his presence and and his uh love guiding me. And and I think it just Again, he's mm-hmm. telling you it's okay to live your life. Absolutely. And yeah, that's what yeah. I've done. That's what I've done. I met another wonderful, remarkable man uh, in 2000, uh, J- um, uh, Jeff Allen, who I've we've just celebrated 13 years together. Uh, well, and the be- one, of, one of the beautiful things about Jeff is that he also had a lover that passed. So... Uh, that he was very close to Donald. They had been together for 12 years. So when Jeffrey and I met, we were able to share stories, you know, of our of our former life and of and of men in our life that you know that we both ver- loved very deeply, and yet not be threatened by that. So that was just a beautiful dimension because so often I think when when you know when a a person gets divorced or when a partner a spouse dies or whatever and then they remarry or reconnect with someone else you know there's a jealousy of that part of uh, of their life and yet that's not that's something that just has not been an issue uh between Jeff and I um you know he loves to, he himself has had some experiences where he has felt Jess's Jess's energy and um you know it's it's just so nice that we can share all of who we are and as you say Jeremy too you know i don't really see it as letting go but i do see it as letting be and to just sort of keep embracing life because it's right. just such an extraordinary gift um each moment because i, I yeah, think I, and what, i'm sorry robert i just have one more yeah just one more little thing to say is is um because in the book, I can I can when when I read this, I feel the guilt, the survivor's guilt, if you will, that you've, right. that you've gone through, and then getting that confirmation or that affirmation that says, you know, don't feel bad, don't feel guilty, it's okay. Oh, you know, absolutely. I'm, I'm right. here for you, and and always will be. And that that was so poignant for me when I read the book and, and it, uh, it really touched me. So thank uh, you for sharing all of this with us in that book. I mean, it, it, well, it, thank it, you it, for sharing your emotional response to the book. That means a lot to me to hear how, you know, it affects people and whatnot. So thank you. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm actually going to reread it because it, it, again, I, ha- I, I had to read it in chunks. Right. I just sit and read it all the way through. I, Right. But, um, it, it was just so, so well written, and so well put together, and and it's just it was a lovely, lovely. It, it was lovely to be brought into your intimacy mm. and into into your life, and it was just it was very nice to read that. So right. thank you. Well, I wanted it to be a love story. I mean, it is a love story. I mean, it's a, it has a certainly a sad, you know, dimension to it because I mean, as all of us, you know, as as men and women with HIV, we've lost some remarkable friends and and intimate partners in our lives. So, you know, I definitely speak to that dimension, but you know, it's also just a wonderful love story of of two people meeting prior to you know this devastating epidemic and and then working through the epidemic and then uh, maintaining that connection for 20 years and then you know for me now going on another whatever it's been 15 years uh since his passing and um you know i i feel that i'm still growing i'm still loving i'm still you know opening learning lessons about how to be more authentic and and open with people and loving with people and um so I feel good I mean I feel you know for whatever time I'm here I feel it's a precious gift and um part of that is meeting the two of you so oh yeah. oh that's cute you know I totally agree as long as we're on this earth we're 
still here to learn something. So right. when we don't need to learn anything is when we actually leave. I do right. want to open up the phone lines for people. If you'd like to call into the show and speak to Jim, 347-215-9442. Press the number one button so we know you want to come on and you're not just listening on hold. Again, 347-215-9442 or tweet us at POSIM. Um, do you still have any connections um, with anyone else other than Jeff? You know, Robert, I don't, and I don't pursue it. I mean, it's kind of funny. You know, I really am a sort of in-the-now type of person. You know, I really right. try to stay in the in the present. You know, I, I'm part of a couple of spiritual study groups, and uh, I'm president of our, of our local uh, Daytona Beach Bridge Club, which has like 350 members. So, you know, a lot of my life is just, being present with people right. and, and and extending you know that energy and and that connection and I so I don't really seek it you know Robert I think if I wanted to if I wanted to pursue that I probably could do that you know like John Edwards or right. or some of the more famous type of psychics but it's not something that I feel inclined to do I, right. I I'm yeah I hear you well I have a call here so let me bring this caller on you're on the air. Who's this? This is Jeff. Hey, hey Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> Jeff. Speak of the this devil. Is, uh, Jim Geary's partner. So I want to bring a different perspective to the radio show. Please uh, do. <laughs> it, the perspective that I want to bring is, um, uh, number one, you know, Jim doesn't give himself enough credit where credit is due, and that's fine. That, that, that's really fine. But the biggest thing that is a, a attribute to our life now is um, people like Robert and uh, Jeremy that are out there in the world trying to make a difference that are of the younger generation. You know, Jim and I are of the older generation, and it's great that Jim started this, you know, back in 1981. But, you know, what really matters today, and Jim and I have this conversation all the time, is that the young people today pick it up at the same place that the gay community picked it up back in 1981 and carry it forward. And that's what you two are doing now. And, you know, he... He's such a, um entrepreneur for HIV work within the United States um, mm-hmm. that sometimes I think he forgets um, to remind himself of the conversations that we have in our bed where we talk about people that really are making a change and a difference in the world today, and that's you two. Oh, gosh. Well, thank you very much. Mm. Thanks. Wow, that's that's that's, that's a lot. Man, I'm gonna, huh? I, I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm gonna have to like go on mute because I'm getting a little teary eyed. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> that was awfully sweet. Thank you, Jeff. Well, I, I have to say, you know, I'm a big proponent for Jim because you know I've really never met anyone that you know put their whole life on hold and slept on the floor of their office um, to, um, you know, uh, propone. Uh, uh, a working non-profit organization within a community. And so, you know, when when we're talking about that type of atmosphere, it's hard to remember the people that actually make a difference today within their new um, young generational view of how to make a difference in the world with um, you know, internet and the, the things that young people aspire to. So, I, I I think you know it warrants bringing up that Jim does recognize the significance of what the younger generation is doing now in comparison to what he did back in 1981. Well, that's true, and, and both Jeffrey and I, of course, are still involved. We we do a local support group here for uh, men and women with HIV in the Daytona Beach area, and that's been so rewarding. Of course, when I did my work in San Francisco, it was with, you know, 
1981, it was an all-gay men's um, support group. And now 40% of our support group here locally is, is women. Uh, we have a number of heterosexuals uh, in our group. We just had one woman a few months ago that gave birth and, and now brings her infant to the group. So um, it's been remarkable to stay involved, you know, for 30 years and, and to just see people still making a difference, you know, joining speakers' bureaus and, and uh, dispelling myths and dispelling t stereotypes and um and and making a difference. So, you know, but, you know, I, I am in awe when I think back to those early days. I'm just in awe of, you know, the predominantly heterosexual women and, and gay men that step forward at a time of just tremendous fear and uncertainty and yet were willing to put their lives on the line and to take the risks, so to speak, of working closely uh, with this, with people with this strange illness, and and you know many of those early volunteers are have passed, particularly the gay men. I mean, there's just a handful of them, of them that didn't succumb to the illness themselves. So, you know, we've we've had courage, tremendous courage demonstrated throughout this epidemic, which is still demonstrated on a, on a day-to-day -day basis. I totally agree. I do have another caller. I want to thank Jeff for calling into the show. Does caller, you're on the air. Who's this? Hello, this is Jeff. Another um, Jeff. Yes, Gary. I just <laughs> like to say that uh, you have been awesome in the Daytona Beach area with your community service and what you have done. Um, you are awesome. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And we we love you all to death for all the stuff you do that you don't even get recognized for. Oh. Well, thank you. That's that's very that. sweet. Thank you. And um, I hope your mom and dad and everybody else are well and everything's going good. So, oh. I love you to death, baby. All right, sweetie. Thanks so much for calling. Bye-bye. Uh Bye-bye. -huh, all right, well, we are down to the last couple of minutes, so I just want to remind people to find more information on Jim Geary or to purchase his book, Delicate Courage. You can go to delicatecourage.com. Um, Jim, do you have any final words for anybody who may be newly diagnosed? Oh, dear. Uh, newly diagnosed, I would say definitely try to get involved in a support group. I mean, we've had people that have come to our support group that have, you know, that have never met anybody with HIV, and it's so empowering. I know it's frightening in, in some ways to come into a group of strangers, but if you can sort of push yourself through that door, you're going to find some remarkable men and women waiting for you that... Um, have been coping with their own illness and that can help you find a way to cope with yours. Um, so I think that would be my advice is just to really try to get connected with other men and women with the illness because, you know, they will become your teachers, they'll become your friends, your confidence, your confidence and um, people that you can rely on when, when other people, you know, perhaps um, fade away. I think that's a great piece of advice and a great way to end the show. Jim, I want to thank you so much for hanging out with us for the hour and, and sharing your story, and thank you to your partner for calling in. Um, we're going to get him on the show. I noticed that he was in the Faces of HIV campaign. I just saw his video on Pods I Am, so um, I'm going to reach out to him to have him on the show in the future. Great. Robert, Jeremy, love you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Jim, I, I, I love you too, I, man. I, just, I love you too, and I just adore you. So thank you. On, on behalf of all of us youthful guys, <laughs> I'm not so youthful, but on, on behalf of us all, um, I just want to say, Jim, thank you for really being part of the pioneers who led the way and paved the way to getting to, be, getting to see where HIV is today and getting it recognized for the disease that it actually is and not what it was actually perceived to be. So thank you. Thank you. Have good a good night, night Jim. Good night, Neil. Remember, folks, you can uh, purchase the amazing book at DelicateCourage.com. Go check that out. Um, amazing history.
and, and a love story and, and talking about communicating afterwards. It's just it's an awesome, awesome story. Um, go get oh. DelicateCarriage.com. Jeremy, it was great hosting with you. I want to remind everybody to tune in next Sunday when we speak to Robert Suttle about HIV criminalization. You can tweet us your questions for that show at PodsIM. Um, Jeremy, uh, people can find you at PositivelySpeaking.com. More information on myself and the show at PodsIM.com. We hope you have a great night. Don't forget to watch tomorrow um, NBC, uh, Jamar Rogers on the voice vote. Vote. Vote for Jamar. He's got to win. Vote, vote, vote. <laughs> um, and that's it. So we'll close out. And everyone, thanks for tuning in. Yes, thanks, everybody. Have a good week. I contracted a preventable disease from a guy that looks good and smells good, but never mentioned that he had HIV. But he is not to blame. I should have loved myself enough to protect myself. But through it all, I found self-love, and it's the greatest thing I ever felt. I was never less than or equal to AIDS, but always greater. I just realized that not caring for myself or my body, I was my biggest hater. I am author of the Naked Truth, Marvin Brown, and I am greater than AIDS.